0: Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I'm your host, Stephen Peinecker, and I'm very excited to have back on my program, Justin Griffin, um, who uh, was the writer and the director of the movie, Who Killed Joseph Smith. Justin, welcome back to the show. Thank you. And so Justin and I were talking this weekend, and he wanted to basically address some of the uh, points that uh, Brian Stutzman had brought up uh, in the interview that I did with him last week. And he had requested that we do it today. And why? Why specifically do you did you want to do it today?
1: Because today is the anniversary of the martyrdom, so I thought it would be appropriate.
0: So that's what we're going to do. So this will be a special Monday episode. Uh, I don't normally do stuff on Monday, but in because of the anniversary of the martyrdom, um, we will have this conversation today. And just so you know, uh, Justin has agreed that um, we would possibly do another uh, episode where him and Brian would be in this and so we'll have hopefully we'll work that out but hopefully we can make that happen as well so Justin I I just want to get started here um tell me after watching the interview with Brian what are some of the main points that you want to get out there that maybe refute some of the things that he said
1: okay so I wrote them down and came up with about 20 of them and so if we want to get through it quickly I'll, I'll move through it quickly okay and I'll just start off and let's see how it goes. So first of all, um, my first comment was multiple times in that recording, Brian said something to the effect of what happened with the mob in Warsaw and what happened with Joseph Smith with the martyrdom is settled, it's pretty much settled history. And my reaction to that is there is no such thing as settled history um new information comes up new techniques to study the history are invented new ways of looking at things are tried you know new theories are composed i just i can't disagree with that more that there is such a thing as settled history so that's you know one of one of the big issues that i had with what he was talking about and i wanted to give two quotes from um a couple of the studies that i mentioned in the movie one of them was from joseph lyon and joseph said he was a doctor and he said i learned in my medical training of the effects of damage to the base of the brain on speech i realized that if willard richards and john taylor's accounts of Hiram smith's facial wounds were true it was not consistent with his being able to speak any last words in other words The story goes, he was shot in the face and Hiram said, I'm a dead man. And this doctor was like, that doesn't sound possible. So that question is what made him want to look more into the martyrdom. And then Gary Smith, same thing. Gary Smith is the one that he and his father are actual descendants of Hiram Smith and had Hiram's clothing from the Carthage, from the jail. And they had that clothes they had those clothes to analyze and he said these clothes with their bullet holes and blood are mute but potent evidence that sharpens the focus on a blurred few minutes at carthage jail 175 years ago their study was done a couple years ago careful examination of the clothes during the many years the author and his father owned and exhibited them reveals no traces of any blood stains around any of the several bullet holes in the clothes This absence of blood is a key to the unresolved riddle of the last few minutes at Carthage. So that's why Gary did his study, is there was this evidence that came up, and in his expertise, he realized the story being told about Carthage doesn't um, accurately reflect this physical evidence. So that was two great inspirations to me, is these other men who were full members of the church, who believed everything about the narrative, still, you know, really, they had questions and wanted to understand these questions. And that's exactly where I'm coming from, As I saw new evidence presented and was like, what does this mean? Is the narrative correct or is it need to be adjusted according to this new evidence? So for for Brian to say it's settled, you, you know, there's no point in asking questions about the martyrdom. That just couldn't, that doesn't ring true to me at all. So I wanted to ask you, Steve, do you agree that the martyrdom is settled history or do you agree that it is a good thing to continue to ask questions and, and try and explore new avenues to understand what happened there better?
0: Well, I think one of the most things that I find illustrative is in the movie you had talked about that painting that was being done and he had done the one side of it and of course i've been to the church history building and i saw that painting last time i was in utah and also they had the death masks of joseph and Hiram right in that same room but, and you had the the, the the most interesting point that you had made was that the artist had an idea of what the other side of the door was going to look like mm-hmm but then he found heard other evidence that was contrary to the story that he had been told. So he adjusted what he was gonna do in that painting. So to me, that's a perfect example of how one can say that it's not settled history, right? Because right. That, that guy thought he had an idea of what happened and was using the historical record and he right. adjusted that painting and that painting is sitting in the church uh, history museum.
1: Okay, so I, th- I think we agree on that, that not just the martyrdom, but any historical event is open to scrutiny and new information coming along and asking new questions. And sometimes that leads you to the same conclusions you've always had and other other times it leads you to seeing it differently. And that's what I've done with this movie is ask my questions and show questions that other people are asking about it. So anyway, my next point. So Brian mentioned at the three minute and 25 second mark that he had invited me onto other podcasts and I refuse to come on and that makes it look like I'm unwilling to defend my thesis that I presented in the movie and so I wanted to explain that yes Brian and I have talked many times he um has posted on our Facebook group many times and I don't I don't agree with him he doesn't agree with me but I don't have a problem with disagreement but he's been asking to come on and have a debate And I've refused, and the reason why is because I'm like, what are we going to debate about? My thesis is based on the physical evidence. His um, counter to that is the physical evidence doesn't matter. What matters is the historical account. The historical account proves what happened at Carthage. And I'm like, okay, I disagree with that. Um, I think the physical evidence is very important. End of debate. Now, if he wants to talk about the physical evidence and he familiarizes himself with the death masks and with you know other things and we could talk, then I'm like, yeah, I'll talk with you all day long about that. And I'll debate about what those things do or don't mean. But to debate about and I a from an eyewitness testimony from a mob member, it doesn't mean anything to me. That's like, okay, I don't mind listening to Brian. Go out there and tell your story. But where would the, the debate be? So. I'll give you an example. I asked Brian, do you believe John Taylor's watch was shot? And he says, no, I don't. And I'm like, okay, the prevailing narrative for 150, 160 plus years was that John Taylor was falling out of the window and a mob member shot him. It hit him in the watch and pushed him back in to the room, threw the window back onto the floor. and John Taylor told that story the rest of his life. And members of the church have told that story since they were little. It's a faith-promoting story that he was saved by getting shot in the watch and pushed back into the room. And guess what? It's not true. The watch was never shot. And so I didn't come up with that. The church came up with that. The church, um, Glenn Leonard, uh, one of the heads of the museum, figured that out in the 90s. And the churches run all sorts of tests on many different watches and many different scenarios and prove that that John Taylor's watch is not shot. We have the watch. It's in the museum. You can go look at it for yourself. So Brian no longer believes that that watch was shot. And I'm like, why don't you believe that? Because the historical account and the eyewitness accounts all say that it was shot. So why do you not believe them on that? And the reason why is because the physical evidence proves those historical accounts are not correct. Now, is that a bad thing? I'm saying the physical evidence trumped the historical account. You cannot deny that physical evidence that is there. And he's saying, it doesn't matter. The watch doesn't matter. And I'm like, well, the watch is just one piece of evidence. There's many pieces of evidence that remain to be analyzed. So, My question to you, um, Steve, in this scenario is, is it fair to say that that watch, the physical evidence trumps the historical account about the watch?
0: I mean, assuming that's definitely 100%, certainly the watch, right? Um, Then, yeah, I would definitely say that the physical evidence does trump it, right, the historical narrative. And of course, this is the thing, it's like, you know, we do have folklore and we have stories and stuff that like, for instance, we have the transfiguration of uh, Brigham Young, who turns right. into Joseph Smith, which was, you know, something that, they w- that we're taught, you know, uh, and so we have stories that we know are not true, right, later on, but there was a narrative that would go on for a long period of time. The only thing I would push back a little bit, and we actually talked about this on the phone the other day, was uh, what we have is a fully intact piece of evidence, we, we can do the forensics, and we know what, that, what the damage a bullet would do to the watch, we actually have the full historical evidence. The only pushback I gave to you was we don't have that with Carthage Jail because of all the remodeling that was done. And so it's, it's, it's not a complete evidence scene like the watches.
1: I'll get to that. So now what I would like is for Brian or somebody else, if they came on and debated that watch, like you just did and said, how do we know that that's the original watch? that's the debate I want to have because mm-hmm. I'm like you're right how do we know where did it come from what right. was the phenomenon? who handed it that's a legitimate debate and then someone else could say no look what I did I shot this watch and proved you from that angle that that's what that would look like that's the kind of debate that I feel like would move the needle forward not well the historical account doesn't say that his watch wasn't shot therefore we have to that makes no sense and i'm like brian you're the one you agree that the watch was shot you agree that the physical evidence is trumping the narrative and here's what's interesting so the church discovered that that watch wasn't shot so then they had to come up with a new scenario well of how how did it get broken how did that piece get broken out of it where did the dents in it and it's pancaked it looks flattened so they conjectured that when john taylor fell into the windowsill because he was shot in his leg that that's when the watch was smashed and i'm like i think i can see their theory i understand their theory but but it's not proven it's just a theory but the church printed that in their published materials both online and in their books saying this is what happened he fell into that window and smashed it and i'm like that's all i did I came up with the evidence, I looked at the evidence, I analyzed the evidence, and then I came up with a theory of here's what I think happened, and people lose their minds. You can't do that, that's not accurate, that's not fair to do that. And I'm like, the church did that very thing, I followed their pattern, and it's the same pattern of every forensic detective. You analyze the evidence, and then you come up with a theory of how how did that happen? And then you analyze it back against the evidence, running scenarios, and you're going to have to redo your theory about a hundred times before you get something that can fit all of the evidence. And then you present that theory. And I have no problem with anybody refuting any part of my theory or any part of the evidence and saying, here's why I think. But I have a big problem with historians that come in and say, that doesn't match this historical account. This has been settled the eyewitnesses say this, so therefore your theory can't be true. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. And I and it's really difficult to debate somebody who takes that tact, as opposed to somebody who actually asks questions about the evidence. So I'd love to put that argument to bed, but I don't think it's going to happen. And Brian's going to continue to want to debate and say, no, here's what the Warsaw mob journal said. And I'm like, okay, okay. I mean, I don't even know how to debate that. I'm like, you can tell your story. I don't have a problem listening all that, but it moves the needle forward not at all concerning the actual physical evidence and theories about what happened inside the jail. Is that fair enough? My my description of that. Yeah, I think
0: I think you could also say that history is settled until it's not.
1: <laughs> exactly, it's settled up until it's not. That's a, I would agree with that. Hmm. Okay, my next point. So Brian said that. Uh, the four minute and four second mark that I admitted on midnight Mormons at the end that the mob killed Joseph and Hiram. And okay. This is one of Brian's main points is you ask in the movie who killed Joseph Smith? We already know it was the mob. So your movie is stupid. It's pointless. We already know the question is answered. Do you feel that that is a genuine question? You,
0: you know, I, I, um, The one thing that threw me off a little bit, and again, Brian, you know, you're gonna come back on the program, we'll talk about this. Is he had mentioned how this was a big deal that it was he wasn't killed, he was he wasn't killed in the jail, he was killed outside and he was executed. But at the opening scene of your movie, you have him there alive on the ground. So I couldn't push back at the time because I was like, okay, did That he was he telling the standard narrative at the beginning of the movie and then he switched it up. I couldn't remember. So I but but you you in the movie you have Joseph Smith being executed outside, correct?
1: That's correct. And I believe that. I believe that when he went out of the window, he was still alive. And I believe that the that the mob finished him off. But the entire point was he was shot inside of the room as well. And Brian admitted that later in your interview that a couple of the shots came from inside the jail and a couple came from outside. So, I don't feel it's genuine. It's disingenuous when he says, well, the mob killed him outside of the jail. I'm like, really? Yeah, we all agree that the mob shot him outside of the outside of the jail, but that's not telling the whole story. So basically, you and Brian, is what right- happened inside the jail and how did he get those other shots in him? So they mean- may not have been the death shots, but You know, if he shot four or five times, which is the actual bullet that killed him? It could have been the first two shots that killed him. If those are the ones that bled out, I don't know. There's multiple people that shot him for sure. And I'm showing the story that, that what are those shots on the inside of the building to get the complete picture? And yet he accuses me of not looking at the whole picture all the time because I don't take into account all of the uh, historical accounts and i'm like you're crazy the historical accounts have already been out forever i'm adding to that by analyzing the physical evidence i am adding to the whole story so i ask you steve is it fair for him to say the mob shot joseph outside of the jail story that's the end of the story case closed does that tell
0: the whole story well i think this is the thing is like both of you agree he was shot in the jail and both of you agree that he was shot, he was ultimately killed outside. Right. So I don't see necessarily, I don't see where, where that's necessarily a valid criticism of your work because you're, you're both in agreement in one sense.
1: Right. So yeah, I think it's completely fair to say where did those shots come, who pulled the trigger on those shots on the inside of the jail? I think that's a completely fair question to ask about this narrative. Okay. Next, number four. So at around the six minute and 45 second mark, and he says it multiple times, he says all the evidence, all the credible evidence points to the people who said they would do it and after the fact said they did do it. So, again, I don't mind his take on the evidence, but I have a big problem when he says the evidence, the credible evidence is only the historical Um, record and he dismisses the physical evidence from the crime scene i have a big problem with that and i'm like how do i how do i prove this any more to you than the the watch which again you agree was never shot the narrative has changed the physical evidence actually changed the historical narrative it went against the there's multiple people that talked about that watch being shot john said it willard said it the coroner said it and so the historical account is that that's what happened was the watch was shot and it wasn't and the only way we know that is because of the physical evidence so how on earth does he say the only credible evidence is the historical record and not the physical evidence so that's my question to you, Steve, on that one. Is, is it fair to say in this scenario to discount the physical evidence, like the watch, and say only the historical evidence matters? Is that fair?
0: I, I just have a quick question for you. Have you had a chance to read uh, Brian's book? No. Okay. It's, it's, it's actually, I, to his credit, I think he wrote a really this is the first uh, comprehensive history of the history of Warsaw, Illinois. So uh, I want to thank him for the contribution he made. And he talks about the trial and, and, and talks about the eyewitness testimony that was given at the Warsaw House. You know, that was overheard. Um, re- ask me your question again.
1: Is it fair to say the only credible evidence is the historical record?
0: Oh, oh, well, I think the, obviously when we're doing a, a forensics and we're doing historical stuff, we need to take all of it into account. That's just to me, that's using a historical method.
1: Okay, I agree, I agree with that. You got you to do both okay all right next next point so um he brings up a prophecy twice in this at around the 1620 1650 mark he says joseph prophesied that willard richards would be killed in a storm of bullets and then he talks about joseph was in the height of his prophetic ability at that time and if he prophesied that willard was going to be in Carthage and not get killed why wouldn't he have prophesied that willard was going to kill him So I wanted you to understand that quote. The actual quote came from the 1850s. It says, the time would come that the balls would fly around him like hail, and he should see his friends fall on the right and on the left, but there should not be a hole in his garment. That quote is recorded in the history of the church, and it was recorded while they were describing in the history of the church, giving their description of the martyrdom there is no source for that quote. No one knows where it came from or when it came from. And the church history says it came about four months before the martyrdom. And then they crossed that out and said it was about a year before the martyrdom. No one knows where they got that quote from. It was just added into the church history with no source. It was never said by Joseph in any of his sermons or recorded in any of his journals, it was never said by Willard in any sermon or recorded in any journal. And all of a sudden, it shows up in that record. And it shows up at the end of Willard's, um, it says it was taken from his two minutes in jail from the Times and Seasons. But if you go to that record, it isn't, that quote is not in there. So it's, no one knows who put that quote in the history. There was four or five different guys working on that history. And Willard was one of them so it could have been willard inserting it in there himself but nobody knows it is a it is not a strong quote to use
0: do you know if that's in the joseph smith papers project that they included that quote
1: it's not it's well it's in the histor- it's in the church history and i think mm-hmm. the joseph smith papers if you look it up will point you to the Actual church history where they're describing the martyrdom, mm-hmm. but that's it. That's the only place it is. Nobody knows who said, nobody knows where it came from, nobody knows when, nobody knows how it got into that history. Mm-hmm. Brigham Young quoted it later in 1861, and he said, Willard, you will stand where the balls will fly around you like hell, and men will fall dead by your side, and there never shall a ball injure you. So when Brigham quoted it, he said it differently. The actual quote is, there will not be a hole in your garment. And Brigham says, a ball won't injure you. And in fact, Willard was injured. He got struck in his ear. The first quote was correct, that he didn't have a hole in his garment. When Brigham quoted it, he got it wrong. So the history of that quote is dubious at best. Mm. So for Brian to use a quote like that, with that, no one knows where it came from, no one knows who said it, no one knows how it got inserted, and to base his theory off of that, that is another example to me of how the historical record needs to be questioned. You can't just make quotes up and insert them and say, oh, this is what happened. There's no evidence of it anywhere else. So is it fair for me to refute his point and say, Brian, you're using a quote to prove that if Joseph at his prophesying would have said he would have got this right in his quote about Willard is Willard. I'm like, that's a horrible piece of evidence to, to go against my theory, that quote.
0: Is that fair enough? Well, I would just say, to in, in Brian's defense, he's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he believes that it's the true church, and he believes that basically anything that the church publishes is um, canon and scripture. So in his worldview, he is going to use that quote because that is something that is, the, the church that he believes is the one true church produced, and so that for him, that would be considered valid evidence. Right. So
1: I agree with that, that that's the way that he looks at it. And if he looked at the watch before the church changed the narrative and said it, you know, it was shot and the church said it was shot, he'd believe it. But then when the church comes out and says it wasn't shot, okay, now I believe the church and it wasn't shot. See, that's, that is not how I approach this documentary is, well, what did the church say? Whatever they say is accurate. When they change their mind, it's accurate. When they change their mind again, it's accurate. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to look at this myself and figure out what happened so everyone calls me biased and i'm like really if you're a member of the church and you believe anything they say goes and is true who's the real biased one looking at this evidence here and i think that's a lot where a lot of the anger from different critics comes from is that i would dare question the church and i'm like you know this isn't about me figuring out what the church believes this is about me figuring out what actually happened at carthage and applying the standards of physical evidence and of looking at the how do you approach this from a forensic point of view so anyway that's...
0: anyway, so just in the interest of time because i'm trying to make our time be about comparable so we got okay. about 20 minutes here so i'd like for you to okay. um maybe just continue i want to make sure you get all the important points out in this episode okay i'll go quick
1: next at the 1740 point he says there was a rustling the night before that's not true a mob came the night before the martyrdom they came at about 12 midnight and Dan Jones was there. And the interesting thing in his account is, none of the men went and lined up against the door. They just put a chair against the door. They were not crazy enough to stand at the door. And then the mob was up at the top of the stairs saying, and whatever they're going to do to come in and get him. And Joseph calls out, come in, we're ready for you, or something like that. And it scares them off. This is not a small detail. The mob came once and then. Brian likes to point out that a new mob came in the afternoon, and I'm like, I don't care if it was the same mob or a different mob; doesn't matter. What matters is Dan Jones went out into the square over by the hotel, overheard the mob that was there that previous night, and they were the ones talking about hanging Joseph. They were coming to grab him out of the jail and take him in hanging. So this new mob comes; their whole thing falls apart. If the second mob was unable to take Joseph alive. Now you got to remember Joseph and Hiram were being held there by they couldn't pay bail because they had been charged with a capital offense, treason. And that's precisely why that was brought against them treason, so that they couldn't bail out and had to stay in Carthage and couldn't go back to Nauvoo. And Joseph and Hiram now they had to stay there until that court case five days later, four or five days later. And they were afraid the mob was going to come and try and attack him so they asked for the governor what can we do for protection he said let's move you over into the Carthage jail because you'll be safe there. They didn't want to do it, but they agreed because he offered their protection. Now, if the mob came twice to get them and failed both times, do you think Joseph could have gone to the governor and said clearly we're not safe here, we need to move to another venue. We need to be able to go back to Nauvoo. We need to go to a different place in secret where the mob doesn't know where we are. They would have been able to make that case and the governor would have had to listen. This was the only chance for them to be killed. And the mob came and failed. And John Taylor and Willard Richards saw that all playing out. They didn't want to kill him. They didn't want to do that work. They wanted the mob to do it. But the mob was going to fail the second time. The window was closing. That's why they had to take matters into their own hands. And they did it in a way that they were not the ones that were blamed for it. But the mob, it appeared like the mob did it. I can see exactly how this played out. So it's important to understand it wasn't just a little rustle the night before. It was a mob. And the mob came twice. And if they would have failed the second time, Joseph would have been let free. And that's why John and Willard had to act in that moment. Okay, next. Okay, so he makes the point, crime scene is 177 years old, there is no credible evidence, you can't analyze it. Couldn't be further from the truth. So a lot about that crime scene is important is the dimensions of the room, where the door's located, where the windows are located, all of that is still intact. And most people, the first time they go to Carthage, one of their reactions is, I had no idea how small this room was. That is such an important piece of evidence. From when you're playing out scenarios in your mind to when you go see the real thing, it changes. It changes things. For him to say you can't get anything out of that crime scene is just ridiculous. Now let's talk about his point about the bullets in the, in the walls and in the, in the bricks because he goes on about this quite a bit. There was a couple, he stated correctly, there was a missionary couple that lived in the jail and remodeled it in the 20s and 30s. And in the room where this happened, They took down all of the plaster on the walls and there was no bullet holes behind that plaster. So Brian said, well, he incorrectly stated that someone said there was 50 bullet holes and then someone else said 40 to 45, it's not true. Um, Joseph's attorney gave an account where he counted 35 bullet holes in the room. And that's the only account of someone naming the number of bullet holes. But here this couple is, they can find no evidence. So what Brian wants me to believe is that all the damage from bullet holes behind that plaster had already been repaired. And I agree that on the interior wall and the ceiling, below the plaster is the lathe against the wood. And there was no holes in that. And they took pictures of it. There's no holes in that. So maybe that was repaired. But the other three walls were stone and rock. Carthage jail was made of stone, of limestone, two-foot-thick blocks. You build that outer wall and that inner wall, then you plaster over it. So when you remove that plaster, you're looking straight at the stone. And if you shoot that stone with a musket, an 1860 musket, 69 caliber, it is going to crack that stone or it is going to put a dent in that stone. Now, what Brian is saying is, someone took the plaster down earlier and then sanded out all of that stone, and then put the plaster back on it. That is a ridiculous statement. I'm let like, me ask you. Let me just ask you, if you a question. To come
0: on, I'll argue that point all day long. Is it possible that have you done forensics analysis of a shooting 69 caliber through plaster against limestone to see if that would happen?
1: Yes, and that's what exactly what we're going to present in part two. Okay, going to now, in part one, I showed the outside of the building. In the outside of the building, there is no plaster on it. And we showed an example of another exact similar stone shot by a musket. And you can see the divot put in the stone is a couple of inches into it. So Brian and others claim, well, they could have sandblasted that out. And I'm like, well, if you did that, you would, you'd be sandblasting two inches into the stone. That would be visible. And then other people say, and I'm like, okay, there is no shots on the outside of the stone. It was not sandblast. The couple in the 1920s said, there's nothing. There's no shots on the outside of the stone. They were shocked by that. So everyone says, well, then every musket shot actually made it into the window. Their aim from all these mom members was perfect into the window. And I'm like, you know what? We proved that. We actually proved with a musket that you can hit a target 100 yards away. So at first I thought, eh, muskets are pretty not very accurate from that distance. Now I'm like, yeah, they are. You can be accurate. But that doesn't take into account a very important detail. And that's what Willard said. Let me read after Joseph went out of the window. Here's what Willard said. As his feet went out of the window, my head went in, the balls whistling all around. He fell on his left side, a dead man. And at this instant, the cry was raised. He's leaped the window and the mob on the stairs and the entry ran out. I withdrew from the window, thinking of no use to leap out on a 100 bayonets, then around um, General Smith's body. Not satisfied with this, again, I reached my head out of the window and watched some seconds to see if there was any signs of life. So Willard, after Joseph went out, stuck his head out of the window. It's a big, wide window sill. He's a 300-pound man. He sticks his head out of the window. He says the balls are still whistling by how are they not hitting him if they're such great aim and if they're missing him the only where those balls could hit is the stone around the window so i'm like he's the one that says they were missing the window and if they were missing the window they had to have been hitting the stone and there is no physical evidence that shows that stone was stuck struck by any musket balls so i'm not trying to convince brian of this but i'm trying to convince you that absolutely the crime scene still has evidence that we can analyze against the eyewitness accounts to try and figure out what actually happened there it's very important to preserve what we have i'm not in there scraping blood and doing dna tests he's right but there's still so much there he later talks about the door the bullet holes in the door and says that door is not original and it's funny because. I wish he would have continued quoting from the couple's study that repaired the interior. What happened is very quickly after the martyrdom, a relic hunter came in and cut out the first hole in the door with a, some sort of saw. And that piece was missing for almost 100 years. And then the couple, when they took over the jail, they found out who was saving that piece and they went and negotiated to get it back. They take the piece, they put it in the door, it's a perfect match and it perfectly matches the grain. Therefore, we know, at least at that point, that that door was the original door. And then that door is what's been saved since then till today. You can see how the piece was cut out. It was the original door. And here we have two holes in that door. And so you can count those as evidence, physical evidence to analyze this crime with. and. That's one of the things that the Lion brothers and others have measured is the size of that hole in the door and the angle from that bullet shot. And it proves Hiram could not have been standing 10 feet back from the door when that shot was made and be struck in the face. That's why they had to come up with a new theory to say, well, based on the evidence, here's what we think happened. And that is a perfectly okay thing to do is to say, here's what the evidence proves. They proved the narrative can't be right, and the church bought that same evidence. The church no longer believes that Hiram was standing back from the door, because the physical evidence of the door hole, the bolt holes in the door itself, proved that can't happen, so they came up with a new theory, and they put that in their book, Saints, and everyone's like, okay, no problem. When the narrative changes, and the church says it, fine, but when the narrative changes, when someone like me analyzes it and comes up with a new theory then everyone loses their minds. you can't do that doesn't match the historical accounts and i'm like okay whatever i can't continue to make that argument makes no sense next um okay i'll, I'll go quick so he ma- he makes the remark that the two eyewitness accounts are not dispositions they're just remembrances from will Um, willard richards and john taylor and he's like you can't it's a good thing that they don't match each other that's on purpose that makes it seem more authentic so he basically is saying yes you can't rely on the eyewitness accounts which is true because they contradict all over the place there's over 100 contradictions in those two accounts yet he says we can fully trust the historical account The historical account only comes from eyewitness accounts, which he just admitted the main two are not accurate. So I'm like, Brian, how is that fair to on one hand discount Willard and John's accounts, but on the other hand, say the mobs are all perfectly accurate and we can rely on those. That's why for me, I'm like, you cannot just rely on the historical account. Look at the whole picture, include the physical evidence in it. And when you see the physical evidence, you'll see the physical evidence is what tells the real story. That's why I concentrated on the physical evidence and not the historical account. The physical evidence is stronger evidence. Okay, next he says, let's use some logic, whatever. Okay, why did Richardson and Taylor fight to keep the door shut if they wanted the mob to come in and shoot him? Well, did they keep fight to keep the door shut? According to their accounts, John Taylor says only Willard and Hiram was against the door. According to Willard's account, all four of them was against the door. According to both their accounts, once that first shot was made through the door, they scattered. Willard, in his account, on one of his accounts, says he goes to the left of the door. And then when he talks to the corner, he says he went to the right of the door and and stood behind the corner, behind that door. They changed their stories. And Dan Jones says the night before, no one stood at the door. You don't stand at the door. That's the worst place to stand when people are barreling in. You stand on the sides, especially when you have weapons, so you can buy yourself that few bits of time to get to jump on whoever's coming through the door. And then the eyewitness accounts want us to believe when they made that first shot through the door that after that, they came back to the door to hold it closed. Who in their right mind, after seeing a bullet coming through the door, would go and stand back in front of that door? knowing that they're willing to shoot through it so i'm like no one was in front of that door and there and if no one was in front of that door the mob should have just you know come right into the room shot and stabbed everybody case closed and they didn't the two eyewitness accounts said the door was only ever partially opened and i'm like if no one was there holding it closed why was it only ever partially opened when they shot the second shot through the panel that the force of that shot should have opened it. There was no latch. There was no lock. No one was guarding it. The door should have been fully open the entire time. No one was holding it closed. So he's like, why didn't they hold the door closed? I'm like, they didn't hold the door closed. No one was in front of that door. They would have let the mob come in and they didn't think they were going to come in shooting. They think they thought that they were going to come in and grab Joseph and Hiram and go hang them. That's what the mob had said they were going to do. But they didn't, the mob didn't know that Joseph and Hiram were armed. And that changed everything. That thing changed everything in the room. And that's what changed John Taylor and Willard in the moment. They had to change their whole theory. They could see their plan falling apart, of the mob killing them. That's when I believe that they stepped
0: in. I just have a quick question for you. You know, when you read to me the account of Willard, how he was standing out in front of the window and he looked down. Uh, huh? I can I just ask you the way I interpret that is is that he said there were bullets flying around and then when and then Joseph fell to the ground well once Joseph well and just correct me if I'm wrong once Joseph falls to the ground I imagine the bullets they would quit firing because that they yeah. got their guy and him standing out in front of the window could still be happening because they wouldn't have known if he was a member of the mob or not cuz not probably not everybody knew who he was so they would have thought maybe he was part of the mob is that fair
1: no okay. Well, yes and no He's the one Willard said when he stood out there
0: that the balls were still flying by. They were head. still flying by him. as he was yeah. standing And I'm like okay. you, why would they be shooting
1: at him? Well, if they were going to shoot at Willard in the beginning, remember, the obvious accounts said they shot through the window and hit Hiram, which they couldn't have even seen his face. They sh- because that shot was in his back. They wouldn't have known. They indiscriminately fired into the room and killed Hiram. Now, John Taylor says he went out the window got shot in the leg fell out the window was coming out of the window why was the mob not plastering him with guns he says they did he says they shot him and hit him his watch and that shot never happened so they never shot at him so they shoot at Hiram, who they don't know who he is in the middle of the room they don't shoot at john taylor then they shoot at Joseph when, but they they don't even shoot at Joseph when he comes out of the window. William Daniels says he's hanging on the windowsill for two to three minutes. They don't fire at him until he gets on the ground. But then somehow when Willard's in the window, they start shooting at him again, even though they already have Joseph. The inconsistencies are maddening. That's why I'm like, what really happened here? You cannot tell from the historical account what really happened. That's why it's like, a really good analysis as a physical evidence is so important for what that will reveal. Did I answer? Did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So next, he says the big bombshell of the thing he didn't say. This is Brian in the Midnight of Mormons. I didn't get to say the big bombshell that goes against Justin's theory, and the big bombshell was what that Willard was in Boston at the time it happened. In Brigham, or Brigham was in Boston at the time that it happened. You're right. Did that in any way affect my inside job theory that I presented
0: in the movie? You, 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 You accept that Brigham was out of town, right? I do. Okay. And I never even mentioned
1: Brigham in the movie. So I'm like, how on earth is this a big bombshell? What are you talking about? How does this refute my theory at all? So I don't even know why he said that I don't, that's one that if you talk with again, you can clarify what makes that this big bombshell. I don't know. Okay, next. Um, all right. All right, I'm just going to jump to the last one. Okay. Well, oh, here's, here's another one. So, Brian makes the claim that I'm a part of some offshoot group that's trying to take out the church. And that's the whole reason for my theory and and making the movie. And I have said multiple times on the very midnight Mormons uh, interview that we did, that I am not a part of a group. I've studied with many groups, but I am not a part of any group. I am on my own. This is not me recruiting to anything. This is me making a movie to try and find the truth. Steve. We've talked, we've talked a lot. Do you think I'm lying? Do you think I'm trying to do this secretly to recruit to a group?
0: Well, I, I mean, it's hard. I mean, obviously people are going to say things I've gotten to know you a little bit and you have made it very clear to me that you consider yourself a Mormon who's independent, who um, is basically waiting for the reestablishment of the church of Christ. So in your mind, there's no organization to recruit people into. Yes,
1: everything is, is go. Everything when we start speaking about doctrine and religion is go to the Lord yourself. is ne- never come to me. It's never come to a group or to join this church. That is not what I do at all. So, why would Brian keep saying that when I've already corrected him on this multiple times? The first time I'm like, okay, you made a mistake, but he continues to say it. Why is he still saying that?
0: Uh, well, I'll, I'll, we'll have to ask Brian that.
1: I'll him on the program. He says that kind of thing to just discredit me. And I'm like, okay. But he did make an interesting comment that he is some sort of authority in his church ward. And one of his members came to him and distraught about the movie. And he said, so I think Justin has made this movie to try and destroy people's faith in the church. And I'm like, you know, that's a fair criticism. Because if your faith is in a church or if your faith is in john taylor and willard richards and finding out that they were involved in killing joseph smith shakes your faith then what was your faith really in if your faith is firmly planted in the lord you do not get your faith shaken you don't go through faith crises when your faith is in the Lord, you only go through a faith crisis when you put your faith in man or in a man's organization. So I'm like, you know what, if this movie helps break down false traditions and people who put faith in man, then great. That's exactly, I'm I'm totally okay with that outcome. And if somebody comes to me and says, well, what do I do? What if the church isn't true? What am I supposed to do? I'm like, "You, you should do the same thing you should have done from the beginning, which is go get your own relationship with the Lord. Figure out how to talk to the Lord on yourself, read his word, pray, ask him what you should do. Quit coming to me and asking what you should do. Quit going to some group and asking what you should do. Go to him. So yes, that's my response to him when when he, when he says that. So my bottom line is look, the story of the narrative of martyrdom is rapidly changing now. It was solid for 150 plus years. No one ever thought to question it, but now new evidence is coming to light. And I'm like, don't run from it. Don't think that this is already settled history. There is no such thing. Look at the new evidence, determine what it does or doesn't mean. If you can see that it refutes something that the eyewitnesses or the historical account says, then start to ask why. Form your own theories. And when you do that, now we can debate and we can discuss all day long about whether this piece of evidence is important or not, or whether it means what I think, or when the church has their theory that he fell into the windowsill, or argue with somebody with the church, whoever came up with that theory, I'll argue with them that that's not the case all day long. But I am not afraid to debate this. I'm not afraid to debate my theory. So me refusing Brian to debate, I'm like, you know what, go analyze the evidence and come up with a theory what you have in the two to three minutes. And then let's talk and he says no it doesn't matter the historical is all that matter and that's why I came on today is to make that point as clearly as I can the evidence matters the
0: physical evidence is super important well thank you so much Justin for coming on the program today do you feel that you were able to fairly you're given a fair shot to make your presentation today yes okay great and I I appreciate that because I want all sides to be felt that they're views are being properly represented and i I appreciate you coming on the program to do that just a couple things as we before we wrap things up i'm just curious what is your what is your reaction to the uh, martyrdom scene in under the banner of heaven so somebody sent
1: told me that i needed to watch that because it you know they play out the martyrdom scene and i've given a review of all the different films that have done that and my initial reaction was it was difficult to piece together the actual martyrdom scene because they keep putting it in with flash forwards to the future and back and that made it hard but so i cut all of those out and just pasted all of the just the martyr scenes together and played it out and it was gorgeously shot Hmm. i loved their building their interior their set all their costumes all the people They've done that better than anyone that that I've ever seen. But unfortunately, they followed the eyewitness accounts of the martyrdom that Hiram was standing 10 feet back from the door was shot in his face. They had him say the island dead man. None of that happened. That's not how it happened. That's The physical evidence refutes all of that. So they didn't look into that. I was like, man, it's too bad you didn't see the movie before you shot that. But the other interesting detail is they included... They said that Brigham and John Taylor was behind those murders in that reenactment, but they didn't say why or where, or what their source was from that. So I wish they had done that or I wish they could follow up and say that. I don't know. As far as the rest of the episode, I grew up a member of the church and I didn't, I didn't write the way the people were acting seemed weird to me. Mm-hmm. I understand that someone outside of the church, that's might be how they view us, but as a, member of the church from the inside, I was just like, this is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> they
0: don't
1: talk like this. It that was wasn't just... the
0: church you were raised in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate you giving me your insights on that. You know, one of the things folks too, that I'm really excited about is that, first of all, going at some point, I don't know when exactly we'll get it organized to have a you know, we're going to have a conversation, you know, it's, I don't want this to be a, I want us to debate the facts, but I want it to be just about the facts and historical stuff. You know, I don't want us to get personal as much as we can, you know, just because I want to keep our discourse civil. But one of the things I'm really looking forward to actually between you and I is that you're going to come back on and talk about faith. What is faith? And yes. what does it mean to have a relationship with the Lord, as you said earlier? And so I said, yes, I agree. I want to have that conversation with you. Because I think that, like I tell people, when I first started this channel, it was intended to be scholarly and secular. But early on, the spiritual entered into the scene. And I thought, okay, Lord, if you want the spiritual aspects to come into the show, it will come into the show. So I would like to have a conversation with you about like maybe your personal faith journey, what faith means to you. um, And we can talk about Jesus and what he did for us at Calvary. And I look forward to having that conversation with you.
1: Me too. I think it'll
0: be awesome. So folks, I just want to thank you for taking the time to watch our episode. Please leave comments to give us your feedback, what you think about it. I just want to remind you folks that we do have the merch store, mermanbookreviews.com. It's fully operational. You can get uh, iPod cases, uh, coffee mugs, you name it, it's there. Uh, We're doing well with that. Just a reminder, we're on all the major podcast platforms, uh, including uh, iTunes and Apple Podcasts and Google and all that. So, And I'm getting about 25% of my audience now is listening to the podcast. So thank you for the podcast, people. I also want to thank those who are Patreons and people who support me on PayPal. I will leave links in the description. So if you would like to financially support the channel, uh, I would greatly appreciate it because it really does help. Uh, It helped pay my way to Utah last month. And I'm going to Sunstone. Hey, are you going to Sunstone, Justin? No? Okay. Well, I'll be at Sunstone next month. I'm going to be reffing the kickball game between the uh, ex-Mormons and the fundamentalists. uh, So that should be fun. (laughs) So again, Justin, thank you so much for coming on.
1: All
0: right. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Hit the notification button when a new episode comes out and you all have yourself a great day.